You'll be so happy you decided to tune in to In the Trenches with Dave Lappin, brought to you by First Star Logistics for this one, because we have the legendary Boomer Siason as our guest. Boomer talks about it all, talks about his playing days, playoffs, Super Bowls, everything that goes along with it. Talks about this edition of the Cincinnati Bengals. Talks about the tragedy that took place on Monday Night Football. Whatever happens in the National Football League, Boomer Sias is, is on top of all of it and always has an opinion. You're going to like this. You made a great decision today, joining in the trenches with Dave Lappin, brought to you by First Star Logistics. As always, we're in our studios that are second to none, and we have a guest that is second to none. We have the icon, the legend. Yeah. We have the man, the blonde yeah. bombshell, yeah. my man, Boomer Sison, MVP, 1988. Uh, you know, take, takes the Bengals to Super Bowl 23. I guess my fir first of all, Boomer, thank you and welcome. It's my pleasure. I love being in the trenches with you, Dave. You know that. <laughs> Offensive linemen are close to my heart, man. That's all no, I can tell you. No, no doubt. I, I don't think any quarterback was more loved by his offensive lineman than Boomer Sice. And I, I swear, you 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 got it. You got that part of it, like, early on. And, uh, man, your linemen, they would go through hell in a gasoline suit for you, man. Well, Dave, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, so the most money I ever made as a Bengals starting quarterback was about $3 million a year, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Right. It's not what the guys are making today, and it's not going to be what Joe Burrow is going to be making in about a year and a half from now. Uh, right. But if I were amongst this group of quarterbacks making this kind of money, I think I would have given each of my linemen a million dollars and said, bust your ass, get your ass on that field and take care of me. Unless, of course, I had a $25 million right or left tackle, which I'm sure Anthony Munoz would have been back in the day. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Crazy. Uh, so what, what was it like in the early stages of your career like that, 1988? You go to the Super Bowl, your MVP of the league. I mean, what what was that like? What was that like to to take in? Oh, it was amazing. You know, uh year before I was a scourge. You know, I was uh, you know, I was the plague. Everybody hated me. I was booed because of the strike and everything else. Sure. So you talk about going to, you know, from the depths of the strike and being hated and God, thank God social media wasn't around back then. Uh, to then being elevated to be the MVP the next year, uh, it was a remarkable, remarkable year for me. Uh, personally, professionally, everything that you would think uh, that comes with both the responsibility of being the NFL PA leader during the strike and then being the, the leader for a team that uh, had the best record in the AFC. So for me, it was an amazing run. Um, I'm thankful that, and I said it back then, and I'll say it today, and I'll say it on my last deathbed that I had great teammates, uh, great coaching staff. And I'm sure that's the way that Joe Burrow feels. I'm sure the way that's the way that Patrick Mahomes feels that sometimes things come easy to you because of the players and the people that are around you. And you recognize that more as you go get older. Um, and which is amazing to me after I think all these years that have passed uh, about how many great moments there truly were, even in the losing seasons, uh, in Cincinnati for 10 years. So um, right. I'll never take any of that stuff for granted, nor do I think uh, Joe Burrow is uh, currently taking it for granted because when I watch him and I see how he carries himself, I say, you know, that's truly the leader of the franchise. That is the face that all Bengal fans, you know, now are gravitating to and rightfully so. So when you're in a situation 
like like you had a lot of great players and, and Joe's they've surrounded Joe with good players as well. But you guys were, I mean, it's a quarterback driven situation. There's no no question about it. That old axiom, it's not the players. I mean, it's not the plays, it's the players. Do you think it's the plays? Do you think it's the players? Do you think it's a combination? Where do you stand on that old axiom, Boomer? Well, I, I would say that it has to be a relationship between, in the NFL anyway, uh, the head coach and the quarterback. Uh, and that's the paramount relationship in, in every organization, I believe, especially the successful ones. And we can see it playing itself out, especially here in the AFC with all the young quarterbacks right. that are now entering into the playoffs. Think about this, Dave. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, at the age of 27, is the oldest quarterback on the AFC side of the playoffs. That's amazing. It so is. it also goes to show you about how great the young quarterbacks are in the AFC, but I think it's the relationship between like Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow that drives this. It's the relationship between Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. You know, th these are the three, three pairs, I would say in the AFC that stand above everybody else at the moment and should last for a good next 10 years. So it's going to yeah. be a great run for all three of them. And that's, I go back to Sam Weish and Bruce Coslett for me. And we had a great coaching staff with uh, Jimmy Anderson, running backs, uh, uh, Coach McDowell, um, you know, uh, the line coach, and then of course Tiger Johnson, the tight ends coach. That's all we had. You know, that that was right. all the coaches in the meeting. That was it compared to today, where they have like ninety-seven coaches on the on the <laughs> roster. Um, but I do think those relationships propel the players to, you know, they get the best out of the players. And I think uh, both Sam and Bruce did that for me without question. And I'm sure Joe feels the same way about Zach and his offensive coordinator, Callahan. So, Boomer, let me take you back to, to Monday Night Football when you were watching the Bengals and the Bills game, and it and it, it started out, oh, man, this is the track meet everybody's anticipating. I mean, Burrow takes the Bengals down five plays, 75-yard touchdown, you know, three first downs. The only third down they faced was third and about six inches. I mean, they were just ripping them down the football field. Josh Allen, the Bills respond. Bengals, red zone defense, hold it to field goal, 7-3. Bengals moving again. Past midfield tragedy. I mean, trauma, uh, just unbelievable. Could never even imagine that you would experience anything like you experienced in that football field that took place. What was going through your mind at that time? I was like everybody else. I was stunned. And really what made me and all of us ex-players stunned more so than anything else was watching the, the reaction to the players on the field, especially the Buffalo Bills reaction. Yeah. And then when I see Joe Burrow, they had Joe Burrow going over uh, to Josh Allen, and, and I think he mouthed, I'm sorry. And I'm thinking, did DeMar just die on the field? Yeah. Uh, that was my initial reaction. And, you know, yeah. I'm on the phone with my producer at CBS because we're going to end up covering this. But I was asking him from a TV perspective, like here, we could be – in a situation like this. And I have been in situations like this, maybe not with a guy dying on the field or potentially dying on the field, but we had the Ryan Shazier situation in Cincinnati, like you had on the radio. I was on the radio nationally for that game that night. And you remember, I remembered kind of walking through all of that and just trying not to speculate as to what's going on and just trying to describe for our radio audience, what we were witnessing and how we were feeling and yeah. talking to our producer or my producer here at CBS, he was just saying he thought that ESPN was doing a really job moving things around, um, you know, from from the game site to the studio site, then to Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Clark, just to take some of the pressure off the people that are on the air. Now, we as at home watching this, we all want information in real time. We want to know what's going on. Yeah. And I don't think we'll ever find out unless there's a movie about this, which there may be someday because this is how it touched the entire country. 
Mm -hmm. um, what the players actually saw on the field. I think there's something out there that we don't know about that the way that they were reacting, they saw not only CPR, they must have seen something else or heard something else from somebody of significance that we just haven't heard about yet because everybody is just being very careful about what they say and how they describe what they saw on the field. So um, I thought uh, both teams did exactly what you would expect them to do. I think Zach Taylor stood head and shoulders above a lot of people in this instance, walking over to Sean McDermott and just talking to him and to find out yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And if you ask me, just from reading now after the fact and seeing all the guys talk about it, it was Sean, I mean, uh, it was Sean McDermott and it was Zach Taylor that ended that game. Yep. Nobody else. Those coaches ended that game. Right. And when Sean McDermott said, I don't, I shouldn't be coaching, I should be with DeMar at the hospital. That ended that game right then and there between those two coaches. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care who said warm up for five minutes. I don't care what the NFL says. Those coaches are the ones that took the bull by the horns. And I do appreciate that because they reg they recognize the gravity of the uh, situation. I couldn't agree uh, more, Boomer. And, and to me, when I when I saw players like you talking about turn away, they couldn't even look, and then crying. And then vomiting, I mean, saw players vomiting, saw them rubbing their heads, you know, they'd look and then walk away. Rubbing. I'm like, man, something is, I mean, dramatically and drastically different about this one. And, you know, then you see the CPR and you see the, uh, you know, defibrillator out there. It's like, what the heck is going I think it on? May, I think it may be more than that. I think there's got to be something else that they saw that we don't know about. I, and I don't uh, know, or heard something. Yeah. But I don't, I've never seen play, players vomit on a field like yeah. that. Yeah. Now, Look, I did the Ryan Shazier thing. And, you know, when you take a player off the field and you know that they are, there's some sort of paralysis, I mean, that is a huge story. That's a huge story for the players that are playing on the field. But I, you know, for some reason, players were able to restart that game and replay that game knowing that their guy was going to be paralyzed. You know, this, there had to be something else here that they either heard or saw to, to, give those or some of the visceral reactions that we saw from some of those players. So it'll be interesting as the story starts to unfold and more of the story comes out, we'll find out more about why the players were so just like stopped in their tracks. And you could yeah. tell mentally that everybody had been checked out. Yep. And that's why it's, a, it was up to the coaches to recognize that and call that game off. Yeah, you're right. And, and I, I can't agree with you more about, um, the, the two head coaches mm. in a crisis moment, you find out about men, you know, uh, what, what are men made of? And in, in, in a crisis moment, they, they showed they're made of the right stuff. You know, I mean, it, it was it, the, the, the coaches, the way they handled it, uh, both medical teams, the way they handled, they were all heroes. I mean, the guy that got the face mask off so quickly, so they get a breathing tube in there and got oh, the, the equipment manager. Up. That's what they equip. So yeah. just so you understand, you know, this is what there's about 20 doctors for every NFL game. Right. And you guys know all this story now because you've read about it. But the equipment manager has a role in all of this yep. because he has to go out there and get that face mask off because the first thing that they are thinking is that he's paralyzed. So yep. let's get the face mask off so we can look at his eyes. We don't have anything in the way. And if we do have to put a, a breathing tube or something in there, that we're going to be able to do that. So yep. whatever he was dealing with or whatever he saw really hasn't been spoken about. But we do know that they go through drills as collectively as every team does to make sure that something like this does happen, that the end result is what we've now seen today. And that is a man that is able to get up out of a hospital bed, walk out on his own. He still has some uh, rehab and recuperation to go through, but ultimately should be able to at least start his life over 
uh, you know, healthy and being able to figure out what he wants to do with his life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, good professional CPR, you know, by an assistant trainer, they have that hour, that meeting an hour before the game where everybody, uh, you know, it's like a, t- a team that executes well, everybody's where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be they're doing what they're supposed to do. And everybody on those medical teams were, were the t- performed like a MVP team. I mean, everybody did exactly what they're supposed to do when and how and it, it was it was amazing to to watch that whole process and as a result we have a a life saved i mean yes you know oh. you know the thing, the thing also dave think about this for a second we as football players we know our game plan because we yeah. practice it every single day and we're right. all on the same team right so now you're talking about kind of like doctors from one team trainers equipment managers hospital driver i mean uh, ambulance drivers ems people yeah. Everybody, you know, these people don't know yeah. each other. You know, they may know, they may meet in you know team um, uh, league meetings or something of that nature, but for the most part, they don't know each other. And now they they are doing it under the most strenuous and stressful circumstances, coming together as a team to save a young man's life. So, yeah, I, I there's no question. And then the hospital staff that has to receive Demar Hamlin when he gets there to understand what's happening, the communication, what they're looking at, what they've seen what his, you know, vitals are, what are all the different things that they dealt with on the field that have to get transferred back to the hospital. So they accept the patient understanding what he dealt with. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was an amazing, it was amazing story all the way around. And, you know, while Tuesday and Wednesday were tough days for the Buffalo Bills, Demar himself, the families, and all of us as football fans, that Wednesday, I actually uh, was asked to go on Fox News to discuss you know, what the NFL is doing potentially with the schedule and all that other stuff. And right before I went on, uh, we found out that uh, DeMar had woken up and he was neurologically intact. And his first question was, "Did who won? Yeah. <laughs> so that that's the football part of me. Love that. And I was yep. uh, able to go with that smile that I had that day right on the TV and tell the world that he's doing well. So I, I felt uh, very fortunate to be able to do that. Yeah, that's it, it. Really is is remarkable when you think about it. And like you said, Boomer, during the week, uh, watching the Bengals go through the process they were going through, as Demar's condition improved, so did their outlook, you know, and their their preparation, their protocols and stuff. It was really weird, you know, working through things uh, during the course of that week. Even warmups, uh, watching guys in the locker room then come out for pregame warmups, it's just like a little different, you know. Um, and then once they I think got out there and hit each other, you know, and say, okay, this is what we do. Yeah. It, it, it kind of resolved itself. I thought the Cincinnati fans were unbelievable. I mean, it, it was like a, a Super Bowl atmosphere for that football game. And they're at this highest high. And then they hit the lowest low you can possibly hit and, and handled it well, you know, the entire time. But boy, it was just good to get back to football. And uh, it, it, what, how, how would it be for you as a quarterback? to experience what Joe Burrow and, and his teammates and the coaches and everybody are experiencing when you play the Ravens that last game of the season, and then you got them a week later in the wild card round of the playoffs. Well, they got to do what we did. We we took care of Houston twice, back-to-back yeah. weeks, you know, and, and that was one of our biggest rivals. We hated them. They hated us. Yep. Kind of like you hate the Ravens and John Harbaugh. He's such a great coach, by the way. Just he's but he he's is. a pain. His team's a pain in the ass. He's a pain in the ass. Everything about the Harbaugh's are a pain in the ass. But man, they are successful. So you know, this isn't like you're going in and you're you're playing your brother. You're going in there and you're playing the damn Ravens. Yeah. And they have a reputation. And just like this, just like the Oilers had back in the day. So 
you know, you never take anything for granted. You make sure everything's buttoned up. You make sure you're ready to rock and roll because they're going to come after you. They're going to hit. And the great thing about what the Bengals have done, and I'm telling you, you know, they, they got off that slow start due in large part to Joe missing all a training camp and right. not playing at all in preseason with the appendectomy. And look, he'll tell you himself he wasn't right. We all knew he wasn't right. But I think winning 12 out of their last 14 on an eight-game winning streak, I mean, man, this kid is playing off the charts. So I, there's going to be no letdown, I don't think, from their offense. And, you know, they're not going to face Lamar. They're probably going to face, uh, you know, Huntley. And, you know, he's a good player. Uh, he can run the offense. I know the Ravens sat about six starters last week. And I think John Harbaugh is probably psychologically – all over their asses this week. You know that, man. You know, oh, nobody's giving us a chance. We got no, we got that. You know, well, you know, these are the Bengals. They're soft. They're an offensive team. You know, tell Joe Mixon and uh, Samaj P. Ron that they're soft. You know, I mean, right. uh, they'll be ready to go. And I'm sure Zach will have his thing going on psychologically. And uh, they'll, they'll be ready to rock and roll. And, and the place is going to be the jungle. That's exactly what it's going to be like. So it's going to be yeah. hard for them to win. And it's uh, and they're going to make it hard for the Bengals to win, which makes it a great playoff matchup. And that's why it's, uh, you know, a night game. So, Boomer, I remember that you're talking about play Houston in the last game and come back and, you know, have to play them in the in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, Sam Weiss and Jerry Glanfield, that whole dynamic, <laughs> that, that was classic. That yeah. was, you know, that was made for TV uh, all by itself. But when you, you got a year that was that, by the way, that was the Bo Jackson year. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, because the next week we went out to go play the Raiders, and that's where Bo Jackson blew out his hip when Kevin right. Walker tackled yep. him. Yep. So, so I, I, I'm, and and again, it was <laughs> just just the whole Euler thing was just it was like a Marvel comedy. You know, it's just it was crazy how those games played themselves out, both in Houston, which were not didn't bode well for us, but right. thankful we had them in our building and we could smash them around again. Oh my gosh. It just hung over what 61 on them or whatever it was. So, but w when you played them the last regular season game, knowing you had them in the playoffs, did, did you hold some things back? I mean, did you, uh, how do, no. how do you handle game plan? You, you got to win that game and then let the chips fall. Right. You know, it's interesting. If I, I think we needed the game to make yeah. sure that we played the game at home and I don't think Warren moon was playing for them. I think he got yeah, hurt. Right, right. And, um, you know, we went out there and, you know, the Oilers always had the reputation to be, you know, blitzing and aggressive. And our game plans were always tailored towards that because we always figured at home they were going to take chances to try to get turnovers. And I remember Bruce Coslett calling plays and just how, you know, how the plays were just like boom, boom, boom. And I knew I knew exactly what he was going to call. Right. And, you know, we just we torched them. And then our defense got key turnovers in that game. Uh, that that last regular season game, and then the same thing the next week. I mean, they just they just didn't want to play us. You know, they were a dome team. We were an outdoor weather, cold weather team. It was cold. It was raw, and you know we were running the ball really, really effectively. Yeah. And you know, and look, and our and our defense, like I said, got turnovers, and that's really always going to be the key in these playoff games. Is going to be the turnovers and scoring touchdowns. And the one thing that you know I would worry about when you're playing against the Ravens is that that fourth and one, that third and one, you know, that first and goal, second and goal kind of situations where, you know, they can keep you out of the end zone better than most teams in the league defensively. They just, they have a knack for that. Yeah. And that's where you really have to make sure that you know exactly what you're doing and you're buttoned up and you, and you end up with touchdowns as opposed to field goals. 
when, you know, my, my opinion, when I experienced playoffs for the first time, it was like, man, you know, these guys, these guys are good. I mean, you know, these, they have freakish quickness, speed, but when I get into my first playoff game, it was like, what? I mean, the quicker players were the quick players were quicker, faster players were faster. I'm like, these guys are really good, you know? And then, then you get to the Super Bowl. We played in the Super Bowl. I'm like, I feel like I'm on the Audubon. How did, I know I didn't close my eyes. How the hell do you get from there to there so fast? I mean, it, it just ramps up like that. Doesn't it? Do you experience the same thing? Yeah. You, you, by the way, you ramp up too, along with everybody oh, sure. else. I mean, Absolutely. that's the thing. It's not just uh, the guys around you. You you're a part of that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the intensity is is going to be fierce, especially against division rival teams like this. So whether it be the Steelers and the Bengals or the Browns and the Bengals or the Ravens and the Bengals or the Ravens and the Browns or the Ravens and the Steelers. I mean, you know, these teams get after each other in this division. We, we've seen that, you know, back when you started and to when I finished until this coming Saturday night, it's going to be the same thing. Right. So, uh, but you just, and, and the good thing is that the Bengals, most of the Bengals have all been through this. They all know what's going on and, yep. you know, rebuilding the offensive line with guys who have been through it themselves as well has certainly helped Joe and, I know that he's missing, you know, two third or two uh, two fifths of that offensive line now, and uh, I think Adinaje. Uh, w- I don't know, you would know better than I would. Watching um, him play the last two weeks, especially at the beginning and the outset of that Monday night game, mm-hmm. I thought that the offensive line looked like they kept the Buffalo Bills out of the backfield. Yep. And the one thing that Joe has done better this year than he had in the previous years is he's getting rid of the ball and he's not, you know, not everything has to be a bomb down the field. Yeah. And this is the refinement of a quarterback. And like I said, it, uh, I want to say about two or three weeks ago on the NFL today that I said, if I thought of the, the quarterbacks in the AFC right now, and when I think of Justin Herbert, I think of Dan Marino. When I think of Josh Allen, I think of John Elway. And when I think of uh, Joe Burrow, I think of Tom Brady, because that's the way that he plays. He's smart, he's refined, and his game and his uh, accuracy and his catchable ball aspect of what he's doing right now is about as good as it's ever been. And that's why when I hear him say after you know the game last week that success is going to be t- tied to as long as he's in Cincinnati, right. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, 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 is, it is amazing. I mean, looking at that offense, it can be explosive when needed, but like you said, uh, you know, the big play part of it, but like you said, when, when defenses are playing top down and they're saying, you're not going to throw it over our heads and make Joe check it down, make them go on 12, 15 play drives. They've found a way to be able to do that as well. I mean, it's a very, they can execute multiple ways. And as you know, I mean, a lot of times you have to find different ways to win football games, period. Especially when defenses have played you, this will be the third time these teams play, but right. they know each other anyway, just simply right. because they've, you know, they've played against Joe, what, about six times, I guess now this will be. Right. So the point being is that everybody knows each other really, really well. So it comes down to individual execution. Uh, usually on third and fourth down, it's going to be man versus man. you got to get your guy. They can't let him break in, you know, through an angle or something. Uh, and then, you know, when Joe throws the ball up to either one of, uh, I guess, I don't know how many wide receivers he has now. I, I, I've lost count, but I know he likes Jamar. But, you know, yeah. he is all the all these guys have played a significant role. And the beautiful the beautiful thing about the offense and, and Sam used to preach this to me. He goes, man, Boomer, you just can't have one guy that you're relying on. You've got to be able to move the ball around and guys got to know that when they're running a route, there's a really good chance that they're going to get the ball, even though their number may not be called in the play itself. And um, I'll never forget that. That's that's the thing that I learned, you know, playing under Sam. 
And it was about spreading the ball around and letting everybody have some skin in the game and everybody have some success and everybody have their moment in the spotlight. And the best part about what Joe, uh, I think Burrow is doing and Zach Taylor is doing and Callahan's doing their offense coordinator. Um, I would say that, you know, they're making sure everybody has a touch. Everybody has a, a purpose and everybody has a little bit of that success. It's not just two people. It's, it's a group of people. And, and that's the nicest thing about what the Bengals are doing, especially on offense. Man, Boomer, to your point, Chase has 87 catches. Higgins has 74. Mixon has 60. Boyd has 58. Hurst, he's been hurt for a bit, but he still has 52. Pirine, another running back. The running backs have combined for 98 catches out of the yeah. two running backs. Almost like, so you, and then you also have, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five different players that have five or more touchdowns, either rushing or running uh, the football combined. Five different players. Uh, six different players with five or more touchdowns. But like you said, it's coming from all over the place. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, that's when you know an offense works because if uh, Baltimore or anybody for that matter is going to try to take, uh, say, Jamar Chase away, you know, putting safety over top, trying to double team them or whatever, yeah. that other guys are going to have, you know, that kind of like feel for it. You know, I remember my last year in Cincinnati – we had a bunch of really good young wide receivers, you know, guys like David Dunn, James Hunden. Um, of course, we had Darnay Scott. Carl Pickens had gotten hurt. And right. uh, we had uh, a bunch of different guys playing. And I remember saying to them in the huddle, guys, you got to be awake, man. I mean, like, if Carl's not out here. So I don't have Carl to throw it to like Jeff did. So I got to get everybody involved. <laughs> and yeah. if I call a 78X hook, Darnay at the flanker, you got to go out and run your route because if that X is, you know, is, is covered, I got to come all the way back to you. And nice. I'll never forget that. I think we were playing Jacksonville and I look, we called that 78 X hook and I look back to Darnay and I threw him the ball. He was standing wide open and he came back. Now Darnay had like caps on his teeth, like the gold caps on his right, teeth. Right. He yeah. was smiling when he came back. <laughs> I was like, see, that's the kind of thing that I need. I want you to be happy and I want you to feel like you're a part of the team. So that was the best part of the, you know, the final, you know, few games that I was there that everybody was a part of it, not just one guy. And, and Boomer, that's the, obviously I remember your 88 season MVP was incredible, but that is a big memory I have of you, the leadership and everything you showed uh, your last few games with the Cincinnati Bengals and just raising the level of everybody's play, taking these guys and just literally putting them on your back and raising the level of play. I, I'll never forget that. That was an awesome display of leadership, man. I was with uh, Marco Battaglia at the Rutgers Maryland basketball game about a week ago. Yeah. And Marco and I were reminiscing about that year. And Marco was, I think a second year player. He goes, Boomer, he goes, it was amazing. You got in the huddle. You started screaming at everybody. <laughs> and he goes, nobody talked back. And I said, because you guys were too young and too stupid to understand what the hell I was doing. Uh, but, yeah, it turned out, yeah, that was, I'm telling you, those last, that last month in Cincinnati was probably one of the, the best times I ever had as a professional football player because yeah. I saw a lot of great young players find their games. Yeah. And and expect to win. They were expecting to win. Yeah. Where the the first half of that season, there was a lot of, I mean, a lot of lack of confidence, a lot of selfishness, and just a lot of disjointed games and plays, and it just didn't make any sense to me. But I knew that there was talent there, and certainly it showed itself. You, you talked about the division, Boomer, the AFC North. Fourteen Pro Bowlers out of the AFC North, the most of any division. So that 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 says something right there. 
I mean, they're battle royales. The Bengals start 0-3 in the division, and then win the last three to go 3-3. Three and three. They're 9-1 and one against everybody else. I mean, it's like they're playing in the AFC North. Does that make you battle-tested for this kind of scenario, this playoff tough run you have to go on? Yeah, well, you know, the thing with the, like we were just talking about the balance in the Bengal offense, they they run it and they throw it and everybody has a hand in the the uh, the passing game as well as the running game for that matter. Like Baltimore has a hard time throwing the football. Right. So you know who they are on offense. You got to you got to take care of Mark Andrews cuz he is going to be their number one receiver. Yep. Uh there's going to be a lot of play action and the quarterback's going to run. So the defense has a little bit different kind of philosophy when you're dealing with an offense like that. When you're playing against the Bengals, you know, it's like pick your poison. And the great thing about it is, is you have the poise at quarterback that is getting getting rid of the football now. He's not holding on to it like he was, you know, a little bit last year. I thought he held on to it a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, but this year he's gotten rid of the ball. He's actually one of the best guys in the league right now getting rid of the ball in less than three seconds, less than two and a half seconds yeah. uh, per snap, which is really amazing, which you guys, you big guys up front, I love that because it makes your job so much easier. And yeah. that all that tells me is that he is seeing everything. He's reading the defenses. You know, he knows his offense, and um, and he's making those quick decisions. So, I look. I just think it's a it's a it's a tough ask for the Baltimore defense, um, and it's really hard to stop them. And that's why we all think that you know this is going to be a rough game, no question about it. But you know, the games in a week from now, assuming all these quarterbacks make it to the next round. Uh, are going to be off the charts like they were last year uh, in the divisional round. So I know this game is going to be tough, though. I know this is going to be a really tough game. It's going to be physical. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be everything that we love about the game that we cover. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a slobber narker, man. Going to be a slobber narker <laughs> extraordinary. You know, it's going to be uh, like like our, our podcast here in the trenches, man. That's that's where it's going to. That's where the rubber meets the road. A bunch of full-grown men in there getting after it. It's going to be fun to watch. No doubt about yeah. that. I mean, um, so it, what does it take, Boomer, to win a Super Bowl? I mean, in your mind, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> if I knew, I would have won one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I actually Ronnie. keep the, you know what you do? Keep the ball last and don't give it to the other team with less than, yeah, right. you know, uh, right. with uh, three minutes or more left in the game. Or in this day and age, 30 seconds left in the game. Uh, you got to make sure yeah. you have that ball last. But um, you know, I think, you know, Joe Burrow certainly has what it takes from our position. Um, and I think all the players around him, I mean, you know, they have to just keep doing what they're doing. I mean, why would you mess with any sort of success winning yeah. eight in a row, uh, a defense that has been opportunistic? You know, I was thinking about the play that Von Bell made in New England towards the end of the game. You know, New England's driving and, you know, the offense fell flat and Jamar turns the ball over and, you know, all of a sudden, it's not the same offense we saw in the first half. That's how these games, the ebbs and flows and the momentums in these games can shift like that. So you need somebody that's going to have some awareness to make a play. And I know we spent a lot of time talking about the offense because that's where I came from. But when I watch what Von Bell did and punch that ball out of Ramondre Stevenson's hands yep. and, you know, and uh, and Hill falls on it. It's it's like that's when you know that you've got the right team. You got the right guys. Because that was that was our team. That was the good teams in Cincinnati always had a knack for getting that key turnover that would save the game or give the offense a short field or score on defense or in the case of Stanford Jennings, score on special teams. Yeah. So it's a, it's a collective effort, and the Bengals are going in at the right. I think the right momentum that they have. Uh, it's too bad that they couldn't get the one seed and things 
ended up the way they did. But um, I, I wouldn't have been surprised had they beaten Buffalo that Monday night. I thought they were they looked like they were off to a great start and really in control of the game. And maybe they could have gotten the number two seed. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Chargers, and the Bengals are all built to go on the road and win games in the playoffs. Let me get you out of here on this, Boomer. And I appreciate your time, as always. You are as good as it gets. What did you think about the potential coin flip to determine that a number three seed may have to go to Baltimore and play a six seed at their place? What did you think about that? You know, Dave, you'll remember this. I was a little bit of a thorn in the side of ownership there in Cincinnati early on <laughs> in my career. Uh, we didn't see things eye to eye a lot of times. Yes. Uh, but I have to tell you, man, I love what Katie Blackburn did. I love what she the, the memo that she wrote and how she put her point of view out there. Yeah. And there's a real practicality to that. And you know what? Um, the way things ended up, they never really even had to deal with the scenarios with the exception right. of one, and that's if Kansas City and Buffalo – see each other in an AFC championship game that will be at the neutral site. So that's the only thing right. that is changed. So, you know, I think they, I, I would have waited. I don't know. I guess they had to do it before the games because they didn't want to show any favoritism to anybody, but I, 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 I'm glad that uh, John Harbaugh played the game the way that he did. I, I'm not saying that he was trying to lose the game, but he didn't go all out to win the game because he was saving some starters from playing. Right. right. Um, and that cleaned that kind of mess up. But, at the end of the day, I guess we were in uncharted waters at the time, and everybody felt like a decision had to be made. But I'm glad it did not come down to a coin flip. And Joe uh, Joe Mixon's going to find out just what inflation's all about, how a quarter turns into $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> so good for him. He made his point, and he's going to have to pay for it now. And Chad Ochocinco is going to be chipping in. Oh, <laughs> of course he's he is. Yeah, he's going to cover it. Yeah, there's no doubt. He'll cover the cause. Yes. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Boomer. This was fun. It always is. You're the best. Thanks for your time. And enjoy watching you. You're, you do an incredible job. You're a hell of an ambassador for the National Football League, my man. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Enjoy the game this week, and hopefully we'll get to do this again as the Bengals get back to the Super Bowl. How about that? Sweet sugar. There we go. You got yeah, it, brother. Later. I'll see you. At First Star Logistics, we're a very strict company that really puts the pressure on our employees. Brakes? What are those? That's what I'm talking about, Icky. Get the body right, then the mind's right. You yeah. know, you gotta get that body right. That's right. right. Yes, sir. Become a star with a chance to earn the highest commission percentages in the industry as a freight broker agent. Check out FirstStarLogistics.com.